Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening, I'm Mike Alston. And I'm Tom Anderson. In national news, it seems the Obama foreign affairs officials were out in full force yesterday as the New York Times reports Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, Defense Secretary Robert Gates, National Security Advisor James L. Jones, and Commander of the U.S. Central Command General David Petraeus were all on national news television programs discussing the exit strategy for the war in Afghanistan, perhaps appearing to quell Republican criticism of his seemingly arbitrary July 2011 exit date. General Jones described the date on CNN's State of the Union as a ramp, not a cliff. Secretary Gates, however, did add on CBS's Face the Nation that there should be some 100,000 American troops in Afghanistan in July 2011. The New York Times reported on a rare showing of bipartisan effort today as groups from both sides of the aisle have aligned to criticize the merits of a federal statute that has been on the books since 1988. The allegedly broad honest services law requires good faith actions by corporate, political, and public figures, and it has been a major utility in many high-profile cases, including those of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich and former Enron CEO Jeffrey Skilling. Next week, the Supreme Court will hold two appeals on the law, with a third coming later in the term. It seems the only way to achieve inter-party cooperation is to publicly combat anti-corruption efforts. Two bombings in Pakistan left 46 people dead with more than 100 injured, many women and children, according to the L.A. Times. One of the bombings took place Sunday evening at the Moon Market, a popular site in Lahore packed with shoppers. The other bombing in Peshawar took place today where a suicide bomber tried to rush into a courthouse with explosives but was stopped by security guards. 45 people were left injured. Police are investigating both attacks. The Guardian reports that international business mogul and multi-billionaire Richard Branson showed his latest project to a private group today, an aircraft called Spaceship Two. The six-seater, which looks like something out of the next Spielberg production, aspires to lift passengers out of the Earth's atmosphere and into orbit for the low, low price of 122,000 pounds, or for those Americans, about 200,000 clams. In local news... Forbes.com ranked Raleigh 21st in its best bang for the buck cities list, released last week. Omaha, Nebraska topped the list, which used criteria such as foreclosure percentage, employment rates, and median real estate taxes, among others. The News and Observer reported today that former state senator Cal Cunningham of Lexington has entered the race for U.S. Senate. It looks like he will be squaring off with Secretaries of State Elaine Marshall and Durham lawyer Kenneth Lewis in the primaries. Cunningham served as a military lawyer in Iraq a task relied heavily upon in his PR measures, and one in which he purports to have fought waste, fraud, and criminal conduct. Cal Cunningham is a Democrat. According to News 14 Carolina, 47-year-old Danny Hembry from Gaston County is accused of murder in two different cases and is now charged in a third. Hembry will make his first court appearance Monday. He is now in the Gaston County Jail with no bond. He is charged with killing 17-year-old Heather Catterton and 30-year-old Randy Saldana. Officers say he killed the women at his home in Gastonia and then dumped their bodies in South Carolina. He was also served with a murder case from 1992 where he was accused of killing Deborah Ratchford, who was found at the edge of a cemetery with multiple cuts on her chest and back. The case could take up to two years before it goes to trial. In sports, the Carolina Panthers defeated their perennial rivals from Tampa Bay for the second time this year in backup quarterback Matt Moore's first start of the season. Running back Jonathan Stewart lived up to his fantasy worth, tallying 120 yards on the ground with one touchdown. Stewart stepped into full-time duties this week with his usual backfield partner, D'Angelo Williams, out for the game. However, the story of the contest with the Panthers' eager linebackers in secondary, who tallied five interceptions for the day. 
And stay tuned to the broadcast for NC State Sports. And lastly, we from the Eye on the Triangle News team would like to wish you a happy Human Rights Week, which runs from December 10th through December 17th. December 10th will mark the 61st anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights spawned the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which came into force. It's pertinent to note, as my international law professor did the other day, that for much of his life, Harry Truman, president during the San Francisco Conference and the ratification of the United Nations Charter, carried the Alfred Lord Tennyson poem Loxley Hall in his pocket. The poem Loxley Hall contained the following couplet, Till the war drum throbbed no longer, and the battle flags were furled, in the Parliament of Man, the Federation of the World. Thank you very much, Mike and Tommy. Uh, I on the Triangle now would like to get a couple of birthday wishes out there. Of course, a happy birthday to Tom Waits. Uh, you should know who he is if you're listening to 88.1. Uh, also, happy birthday wishes to Noam Chomsky, American linguist, philosopher, and apparently political activist, and uh, American novelist Will Cather. Uh, here's the weather. Tomorrow we'll see clouds and a possibility of rain into the late afternoon. And today marked the 68th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attacks. Listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Saja Hindi. This wraps up our Eye on the Triangle episodes for the semester. I know you're all really upset about it. I am too. But we'll take this time to kind of get prepared for next semester. So make sure to email us suggestions, ideas for the show at publicaffairs at WKNC.org. And now we're going to have a kind of season wrap up from our sports guys. Um, so NC State picked up a big win in basketball this past weekend. Tell me, just how big of a win was this over Marquette? Well, Sasha, you're right. It was a very big win for the team. Uh, NC State knocked off Marquette 77-73 to at Marquette. Um, you know, a, a win like that on the road against a team that has some name recognition is always a big win. Um, I think in some ways, though, do you guys think that this could be characterized as a resume builder? Especially when you start thinking about NCAA tournament considerations at the end of the season, having a win over a team that before we beat them was was receiving votes, was very nearly a top 25 team. That's a good indication that they might be finished the season in the top 25. So to beat a team that good on the road is definitely definitely a huge win come come around March when we're looking to get into the NCAA tournament. Another thing you have to consider um, is not only that they did win, but how they won. Um, I didn't get to watch the game. Thank you to work, Golf Galaxy, just a shout-out. Um, anyway, didn't get to watch the game, but, you know, NC State was down 11 at the half on the road against a Big East team, um, that very, very easily could have become a blowout. Um, that team could have quit up there, you know, tucked their tails and come back to Raleigh and, and regrouped uh, in this week off they have now. But they didn't. They uh, they played hard in the second half. Farnell DeGand, I know uh, Coop's going to talk a little bit about him, uh, saw his first action of the year, played well. So, you know, any, it is a resume builder. Obviously, the, the expectations for this team are still low as far as, you know, maybe the NCAA tournament's not something we really need to be talking about yet, but... Anytime you can get road wins against Big East competition, you you, you got to be happy about it. Well, and you're right. I will talk a little bit more about uh, what Farnell did and some of the other players. But before I get to the stats there, um, we do have a few more big games coming up here, especially over the break. Uh, so, Derek, do you just want to touch on kind of what the upcoming schedule has in store and, you know, what potentially this team could do and the position that they could put themselves in? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, late December basketball, uh, there's a few big games here and there. You know, Carolina and Kentucky played this past weekend. That's an example. But usually late December basketball gets kind of lost in the shuffle of the holidays. But uh, NC State's got a chance during the during the break here to to pick up some big wins. They play uh, there's three big games over the break. Uh, there's a home game against Wake Forest, that's an early ACC game, and then uh, the team plays Arizona and Florida out of conference. You know, Arizona, the name recognition there is is huge. Florida's ranked in the top twenty right now, and obviously Wake Forest was picked to finish in the upper half of the ACC. So you know, maybe NC State could win two out of three of those games, maybe all three. Who knows? Um, they're going to put themselves in a really good position. You know, when you start talking about the NCAA tournament later down the road, you got to get all the wins you can out of conference because to go more than 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven in the ACC is just, you know, not realistic right now where NC State is. So they have a big opportunity during the, uh, the break from school here to put themselves in a good position. All right, well, something to look forward to for sure. Just throw out a few stats here. Uh, like we said, Farnell did get his first action of the season, came in, helped to kind of steady the offense, um, allowed Javi to get 15 points. Tracy Smith scored 17 of his 19 points in the second half to help with that comeback. Josh Davis also doing a lot. A freshman uh, came in off the bench, uh, scored nine points, had six rebounds, um, had a couple blocks. So, uh, you know, it was a good game for him. But um, And then another stat that really jumped off the page at me was 22 assists on 30 uh, made field goals. Anytime you're uh, having production like that, it's very good. And only 12 turnovers, which, um, you know, obviously we'd like to see fewer than that. But uh, for a young team like that, very good. All right, we're going to move on here. And uh, like Sasha said, we're going to kind of do a recap of um, all of our fall sports. And, uh, you know, we'll start with football. Everybody knows five and seven record, um, just two and six in conference play, but picked up that win over Carolina at the end of the season. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was kind of the big question marks again for next season. Russell Wilson, quarterback, and running back Tony Baker. Uh, Wilson, he's going to be eligible for the Major League Baseball draft, and Baker, he was granted a sixth year of eligibility by the NCAA after missing two years, but he hasn't decided if he'll be coming back. Um, you know, what kind of a role do those two players have on the team and how big could it be for them to come back next season? Well, I think it, I think it'd be huge. Obviously, um, we've seen what Baker and Wilson have accomplished over the past couple of years and to have them back would be, would be huge. Um, Wilson has been a little more successful, but I would argue that Baker, his return might be more important because a lot of those guys on the offensive line will be gone and, um, Having Baker back would would make that weakness not not that that would be a weakness, but the concerns on the offensive line would be a little less significant with a six year running back like Baker coming back. Whereas even without Wilson, not only is Glennon a huge recruit coming out, I know at some point that's irrelevant. He's got to put up here, and it'll be interesting to see whether he can. But the targets he's going to have are going to be about as good as anybody in the ACC could ask for. With Jarvis Williams, who led the conference in touchdowns, coming back, George Bryan, All ACC tight end, and statistically speaking, the best deep threat in the country, and Owen Spencer, who led the nation in yards per catch. So um, I think, I mean, I think Glennon could step in for Wilson very well if if he would leave, and I don't think anybody's going to know that until about April and how his baseball season ends up. All right, uh, we're going to turn here to the schedule for next season. Um, I'll just give kind of a rundown. First of all, the teams that we'll be playing at home will be playing Cincinnati in a big non-conference game. Western Carolina, and then in the ACC, Boston College, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. On the road, we'll go at Central Florida, at East Carolina, at North Carolina, at Maryland, at Georgia Tech, and at Clemson. So, Derek, uh, looking at that schedule, you know, 
are there any opportunities for some uh, easy wins on there? Is it going to be a tough year? Well, uh, Western Carolina sounds like a good one. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I, w- I was looking at the schedule the other day and kind of had a conversation about a friend of mine with this. Um, I really, uh, you know, and this team's going to be better. Uh, a lot of the defensive players are back. We lose a lot of the defensive line, but, but you know, the linebackers secondary going to be a year older, a year more experienced. You know, they're going to be better. And, uh, you know, like we said, if Russell and Tony Baker decide to, to come back, the offense is going to be high-powered uh, regardless of the losses on the offensive line. We've got guys coming back that can play. But that being said, I don't, I don't know that I see more than six wins on this schedule regardless. Um, you know, Cincinnati coming to town, that could be a big game. Cincinnati, I think, loses quite a bit off of this year's undefeated team, but, you know, they're still going to be good. There's two conference championships, right. and they're going to be good regardless of who's. And, you know, and then you go three straight. Oh, actually, let's see. You're going to go at UCF, at East Carolina. You know, both of those games are, are that's another conference championship team in, in ECU who just won the CUSA this past weekend. So I mean, they're not they're not they're not games that are going to be games that NC State is favored in. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the schedule sets up uh, once the ACC schedule is uh, comes out with the dates and everything like that. All right, moving on to volleyball here. Um, volleyball eight and twenty seven overall, one and nineteen in the ACC. Um, Coach Tarita Stubbs was fired at the end of the season. Uh, it's a pretty simple question. What can be done to make this program go in the right direction? Uh, that's a real good question. That's one that I'm glad I don't have to answer. Uh, you know, I did a little little research on this this week myself. Uh, me and Suja, based on the stuff that happened with Technician last year, had a you know somewhat of a relationship, I would say, with Coach Stubbs. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, but uh, if you don't know if you don't know about it, uh, search Stubbs cartoon on TechnicianOnline.com. And uh, you'll get filled into that whole situation a little bit. But uh, that being said, the you know thing with Sharita Stubbs, you know you had she was four and eighty in four seasons in the ACC in volleyball. I mean you can't go four and eighty and expect to stick around. And then volleyball as a whole, in Lee Fowler's ten years in NC State as athletic director, the NC State volleyball team has won seven ACC matches. Seven in ten years doesn't doesn't quite get it done. I don't I don't really know what the answer is. You know, maybe it maybe it's even hiring somebody local. Uh, Coop was saying this earlier. Cardinal Gibbons has a good high school volleyball team. Hire their coach. Hire their assistant coach. I mean, you know, you got to do something to try and get this going in the right direction. All I'm saying is do something different. And you know, I I don't know what the answer is either. I think it's a great point. That it's a very tough situation to be in. Um, but there's just no there's just no good reason that we should have as bad of a volleyball program as we've had. And, you know, I really started to think that Coach Stubbs had brought in some better athletes and things like that, that we were having ACC caliber players, but um, it it really didn't turn into wins. So I, I'm not sure. I don't know. And I think maybe the situation last year that happened with the whole cartoon issue, Sudge, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this a little bit, but, you know, it maybe that caused a distraction for the team. I don't know. but I mean, I definitely agree. It was something that either – you know, Coach Rita Stubbs kind of wanted it to distract from how the team was doing or not really sure, but it definitely was something that a lot of people got involved in. And, you know, it was very obvious the cartoon was, if you see it on technicianonline.com, like Derek said, it's a, it's a uh, picture of Coach Rita Stubbs, a caricature actually, and she's holding up one of her hands and she's saying, oh, this is what the other hand is for, as in, oh, you know, we're finally having some more wins, but she took that a little bit the wrong way. So, Is that all you're going to say? She took it the wrong way? <laughs> she took it the wrong way and said it was racially charged. 
Which, you know, and, and that, you know, if you want to argue that, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. You know, it did it did turn into somewhat of a heated discussion back and forth uh, at that time last year. And, you know, whether that was a distraction for the team, who knows. But, well, again, she's gone. Lee Fowler has got to do something. Exactly. To get this Un- the unfortunate way. situation, you know, surrounding her tenure. I, everybody appreciates the fact that she was willing to step into uh, a position like that, that, you know, <laughs> really there was nowhere to go but up. And, unfortunately, that didn't really happen all right um moving on here uh men's soccer final record of 13 7 and 2 uh they did play they made it to the acc championship game which they lost against virginia um and then a disappointing kind of early bow out in the ncaa tournament um a loss at home and one thing that i just want to get you know your all's opinion on is that we have an opportunity here where we're hosting the college cup in soccer uh, not just in men's soccer, but in women's soccer too. And we don't have our local teams playing in it. And it hurts when Carolina keeps having their team, you know, coming right down here into Raleigh or I guess Cary technically and going away with the NCAA championships. So, I mean, really what, what's got to be done there so that our, our teams have more postseason success? Well, this, this season going into the NCAA tournament, um, it looked like we had as good a chance as maybe anybody in the ACC to make a big run in the, in the tournament, um, we went to the ACC championship was a huge deal. Um, for those of you who don't follow follow soccer, to put it into put it into perspective, a lot of people consider the ACC the best basketball conference in the country. The ACC is much, much, much better in soccer than it is in basketball. To just give that an idea, so to make it to the conference championship of that, going into the NCAA tournament, it looked like um, not ours for the taking, but definitely we had a good as good a chance as anybody, and just kind of flopped in the first round against Portland, and it's. It's hard to describe exactly what went into that game. I wasn't there, but a disappointing early exit and, and a big upset by Portland over our soccer team, and that's how that season ended, and we'll see what happens in the future. We're losing some great seniors, but um, there were a lot of young guys that had big impacts on that on the success that team had this season too, so um, all hope's definitely not lost for next season. All right. One other thing I just want to touch on, uh, men's cross country. They did win the ACC title. We definitely have to give them some love there. Go cross country. Woo! The team's... The team's 11th in 15 years. Uh, women's cross country didn't have quite as much luck. They had a they had a fine season, you know, nothing spectacular or anything like that. Um, they uh, they did finish second in the Wolfpack Invitational. Just a little note off of their season. And uh, both cross country teams had an All American this year. That's the first time I believe since 2001. Both were sophomores. Um, Emily Pritt and Ryan Hill both were All Americans, and that's that's a big deal, obviously. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for now. Uh, We're looking forward to coming back in the spring when we can talk about a lot of basketball that we missed over the break. So have a good holiday. Thanks, guys. the triangles vip talking to people that matter you're listening to i on the triangle on wknc 88.1 i'm Sasha hindi now that you guys have heard kind of our season wrap up for the sport fall sports we're going to go into a more news oriented wrap up with student body president jim sresnik and former student body president and senior class president jay dawkins obviously nc state has been very much in the news recently um with, you know, the Easley scandal, but with some other good stuff, too, hopefully, that, you know, we'll get more into after the break. However, I wanted to kind of start out with 
a very brief question. If you had to give NC State a grade for the past year in news, what would it be? No elaboration, just a grade, and we'll get back into why after the break. Jay? Mm, I would say B. Okay. What about you, Jim? I would have to go with a B as well. Okay, that sounds good. All right, we'll get back more into that after the break, so stay tuned. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's VIP, and with us here in the studio are... Student Body President Jim Sresnik and former Student Body President and Senior Class President Jay Dawkins. Before the break, we asked them what grade they would give NC State, especially since NC State has been kind of in the forefront of the news. Jay and Jim both gave us a B. Why, Jay? It's, it's rare to get me and Jim on the same page on a tough issue like that, Cedric. <laughs> but uh, I, I think uh, we both agree that, that some tough things have happened this year. Uh, we've seen some d- difficult personnel issues pan out. But at the same time, you're looking at NC State. You know, we're a strong university when we're doing some great things for society, whether it's you know, saving the world from asteroid impact, uh, as you might have seen in the news, or uh, just raising new fuels. Uh, they're going to replace uh, fossil fuels one day or, or even just keeping our food supply safe. We're doing some very important things, and NC State's, uh, I think, a real winner for the people of North Carolina and the world. So what do you think there, Jim? Um, I would agree. I mean, there's no question this is a year in transition for NC State. And our dirty laundry has sort of been aired out um, in on the front page of uh, the News and Observer, there's no question. But um, as Jay said, we're continuing to do great things. And one of the things that Chancellor Woodward said that was telling for me um, a couple of weeks ago is that you can really judge a university's heart by the amount of philanthropy that we're involved in. And if you look at the students uh, on this campus, we're just involved in so many different philanthropic efforts that really show that this university cares about the people that you're sitting next to in class as well as the people that, um, you know, we affect in this community. So it's been great to see that, and uh, it's been tough, no question, but we continue to do great things, and we continue to lead this state every single day. Okay, that sounds good. So now that you guys can kind of take a step back from the whole Easley scandal and, you know, a lot of stuff has kind of already been taken care of, what do you think we did right, and what do you think could have been done better? Jay, you were a Board of Trustees member when uh, Mary Easley was first hired, right? That's right, and that, that, that issue has turned into a, something with a life of its own. If you think about it, the very first time they hired Mary Easley, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, obviously, she had credentials from uh, North Carolina Central. They were paying her comparably to what they paid her there. Uh, and it really, um, I think what we saw was when information isn't uh, out in the open, especially around hiring decisions and uh, salary, that kind of thing, uh, we hear a lot of backlash from the, the news media and the people who are paying their salary, the taxpayers a lot of times. So. Um, if anything, we've learned to be very transparent. I think we have a chancellor that's committed to that this year. I think transparency is the biggest issue there. Um, I think if you look a similar situation that we see in the news these days is the Tiger Woods situation. Um, with Tiger Woods not coming out and kind of giving his side of the story right away, it's allowed um, you know, the pundits to sort of go and, and, and write the story. And that's sort of what we did in that situation. Um, we, didn't, we weren't up front, we weren't forward, and we didn't sort of – uh, put out the fire when the fire needed to be put out. And we sort of, uh, one, of the, one of the analogies that was thrown around at the time was the situation just hemorrhaged for a long time. We, we, we allowed that to happen for too long. But, um, you know, transparency is key. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're working towards being as transparent as possible. Um, 
in, in light of that situation. Right. So speaking of transparency, when is the uh, chancellor search and, you know, the finalists going to be? Well, we actually, um, I've been in meetings for the past three business days um, interviewing candidates. And uh, the search is moving forward, uh, moving forward quickly. And we've got some tremendous candidates. Um, we, we really have some people who can bring NC State to the next level. What, what Erskine Bowles said in the, in the meeting um, when we sort of brought the search committee together was that we want a chancellor who will not settle for NC State being second place. We want someone who will bring us to the next level. And I think we have those candidates. And um, it's been just an incredible experience to see these people and uh, have them be interested. Are there any plans to release the finalists? There will be. Um, I, I wish I could tell you more about when the finalists will be released. The process right now is we'll choose three names to give to Erskine Bowles, president of the University of North Carolina system, and he will interview each one of those candidates and then make his choice. Now, when that decision is made public, will more than likely be at the end of the spring semester because these individuals are involved at other universities um, and have duties that they have right now. So that's more than likely, we'll, we, the choice will have been made and will be made public more than likely uh, towards the end of the spring semester. Okay, that sounds good. I told Jay this earlier, Jim, but I'm going to ask you guys to kind of give us a grade for each topic that we talk about. So easily scandal, go. Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think um, anytime you have a scandal, it's a bad grade. So I think I'm going to give our, our university a D minus. There's a lot of things we did wrong. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we're coming out of this with a new foot forward and, and uh, making good commitments. Mm -hmm. Higher than I would have given it, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really unfortunate event. And to give it a grade, I don't know. I mean, a, a low performance, no question. Um, but, you know, we're looking forward. When we've moved out of it. We've moved beyond it. Um, and I think what we need to do is we need to learn from the mistakes from that situation. Um, it's, it's like getting a D in a class, I guess. You know, if you get a D in a class, you weren't doing something right. So I think we're learning from those mistakes, and we're looking forward, and we've really been blessed to have Chancellor Woodward come in with no need for on-the-job training and allow us to keep moving forward. And he's really been able to take a really close look at this university, see what we need to do, what we did wrong, what we can do better, and he's had to make some tough decisions. And I, I, But he's done a tremendous job, and I think we're very, very lucky to have him, uh, to have him step in after that wild situation. Okay. And kind of on a lighter note, especially for those taking exams, you probably care about breaks very much right now. But uh, spring break got moved. How did that whole process go? I know that was something that you campaigned for as student body president. Uh, was it something that was already in the works or is it something that you kind of pushed once you became student body president? Well, it's one thing that I brought up at the registration records and calendar committee that met a couple of weeks ago. Um, certainly spring break that we will uh, enjoy this year is the third week in March. And a lot of people, some questions have been raised about, you know, well, Jim, you campaigned on a later spring break. You know, it was already later. Um, but the question wasn't having spring break later. It was having spring break the week that everyone wanted it to be. And the evidence that I presented at Registration Records and Calendar was that 11 out of 16 schools in the UNC system have spring break the second week. Um, and almost every large school in the southeast has spring break that second week as well. And that was really sort of the the tone that I got when I was out campaigning last year. So I presented that information and said, you know, this is something that students really want. They, they, they want to have spring break with um, students at other universities. And the faculty and staff on that committee agreed because a lot of people have connections to, you know, family at other universities, and it creates difficulties. Um, and we debated it in the committee, and it was voted on, and um, it was approved unanimously. And it was uh, 
there's been questions raised, but it was certainly I'm, I'm glad that you know student advocacy is still alive and well. I mean, if we really present the facts and we really go to the table with good information and say, listen, this is something that makes sense, um, people are willing to listen. And as the year moves forward, uh, as we look into the new year, that's going to be my main focus is student advocacy in that same sense. And I think that's why a lot of people elected me last year was because they knew I'd be willing to 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 try and look at these policies and make those policy changes that students want. You said some questions or concerns were raised. What kinds of things were that were, well, you know, surrounding those, I guess? Well, with spring break, I think that question itself was that, well, it was already in the works. Right. Um, you know, it's a process that's reviewed every year. And uh, we had an opportunity to review it, and we did so, and, and we made the appropriate change. And so I was happy that we were able to make that change. Okay. And this is kind of something that probably Jay can talk a little bit more about, but the Bell Tower project, um, you know, that was something that the senior class kind of took on after Matt Ravens was really pushing for it. How is that going? Oh, it's going great, Sedja. Uh, this is one of those projects that doesn't come along uh, every year. Um, it's one of those things that can really uh, change the face of student advocacy at NC State. It can uh, really bring some more meaning uh, to our Bell Tower. I mean, it was intended to be a memorial uh, to 33 students that fought and died in World War I. Uh, these are people that were part of NC State. And um, yeah, it's designed called for bells. I mean, it is a bell tower. And uh, I think it's an example of how any student who wants to make a difference uh, in NC State, if they go to the archives and, and did what Matt did, and that was digging through a ton of information um, to really find a remarkable project. Uh, but the good news is right now that it's got a ton of momentum. Uh, it started out as a very small student movement. Uh, it, it was taken skeptically, uh, skeptically by um, a lot of people who could have done something about it. Now as it's a senior class um, sponsored project it's getting a lot of university foothold and we see a lot of students getting behind this um, it's something that we can make a huge difference as a class as a student body and ultimately you know change uh, a major icon at nc state for the better right so obviously you're a pretty big advocate of it you know a senior class president um, but one of the concerns that people have raised is do we really want to be fundraising for this while we have budget cuts and that sort of thing where there are other donors that could be donating to the university to help in that aspect, in the academic aspect, what is your response to that? Well, it, it certainly there is no good time uh, for most projects. Uh, things that are expensive are, are tough to deal with. Uh, one of the situations that comes with a lower economy is a lower price for things like bronze. This is getting into the actual details. I mean, I'm an engineer, so I jump into this stuff all the time. But the price of bronze is rock bottom right now because the economy uh, went, went out. But uh, it's actually starting to go back up. So the quicker we move, this is the better. Uh, and the good news about the senior class gift is as well, uh, if they don't want to make their full portion of the gift go towards the bell tower, say they want to donate part of it back to their department or uh, their classes, um, they can do that. And that's a choice that seniors can make on an individual basis, which I think is great. Do you know how much the project will cost as a whole? Um, as long as we get moving pretty quickly, uh, the total cost of the bells uh, will be under, I think, seven hundred fifty to $800,000. Okay. That's, that's very expensive, obviously, but we're talking uh, a full care lot of bells that can play music, that kind of thing what you'd hear in, in a lot of major churches and, and universities. And it's about time our bell tower had bells. So Do you know how much it. has been raised already? I think to date it's only a few thousand dollars. Um, the great news is that a lot of people are getting on board with it right now. We're seeing a ton of momentum with the senior class gift. Uh, athletics um, with the UNC game, actually part of the ticket sales to that game are being uh, saved for the class gift and for the bell tower campaign. Uh, so that's a great move uh, by athletics to support this project. We don't know how much it's going to be for yet. 
Uh, but as soon as we know, we're going to release that and, and really appreciate anybody to step up on this project. Transparency, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I didn't ask Jim what he would give the uh, spring break project, what grade, but I kind of assumed that it was project. a positive. I give it an A+. plus. <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> didn't drop the, that course. Yeah. What about the uh, Bell Tower project, Jay? Bell Tower, uh, it is, again, an A+. plus. We are moving forward with this thing, and it's going to do great things for the university. I'd love for everybody to get on board. Okay. That sounds good. And now to kind of go back. Um, budget cuts. Obviously, we've had a lot of those. There have been classes that have been cut completely, uh, seniors that were supposed to graduate that can't graduate because a certain class isn't offered anymore. What, I mean, is the university handling that appropriately? What's going on with that? What is student government doing in regards to that? Gosh, it's, it's been a tough year. I mean, there's no question. I mean, the impact, you know, this is something that we, we sort of talked about for a long time. Um, you know, budget cuts are going to impact. Budget cuts are going to impact, and we've really seen it this year. There's no question. Uh, one point of good news I'm, I'm happy to, to, to report is that we have one of the lower um, – a big issue that's coming up right now is a campus-initiated tuition increase, um, which is a $200 mandated tuition increase by the General Assembly that won't come back to the campuses. However, if that money does come back to the campuses, it will go towards restoring a lot of the services that were lost, a lot of the classes, a lot of the um, – advising that's been offered. Um, one of the big points of student advocacy that we're going to be working on next year, specifically student government, is working to get a petition signed that will go to the General Assembly that says we want our $200 back. Um, it's extremely important. Um, if we're going to be paying more money, we need that money to come back to the campus to, to help restore the services that have been lost. Uh, it's going to be extremely important, but Beyond that, I'm happy to report that our, tu our campus-initiated tuition increase that was negotiated, I was the co-chair of the committee with Provost Arden, um, is one of the lowest in the system. So even, you know, hopefully, we can push the General Assembly to allow us to get that money back to the campus. But regardless, our overall increase, tuition and fees, will be one of the lower tuition and fee increases across the entire system, which um, we worked really hard to make that happen, even in the midst of, of any increase you know, that we we've seen this year. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to do that. But um, nonetheless, it's been tough, you know, and we're going to be working hard to, to get that money back. Okay, that sounds good. Jay, did you have something else to kind of wrap it up? Well, I think Jim's done an incredible job advocating for students. Obviously, it's, it's been a tough year. Um, but NC State students are, are, are staying strong. They're out there. I see them going to class every day, just trudging on. We're tough. <laughs> Keep going. And hopefully exams will go well. I guess we've That's got a couple of weeks left. We'll be out of here. That sounds good. Grade really quickly for that last one, Jay and Jim. Not student government-wise, but administration-wise. And then you can give me a student government grade. I'll tell you what, administration has been extremely receptive to student concerns this year. And I'd, I'd, give, them, I'd give them a B. Okay. Yeah. I'd definitely uh, say NC State got an A. The economy, man, fail. <laughs> fail blog for the economy. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question. Who's going to be student body president next year? <laughs> Are you going to hang around for next year, Seja? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hopefully not, but we'll see. <laughs> I think Mr. Wolf is running, so um, okay. it's, it's going to be a tough race. That sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. Good luck. Triangle. Your local arts news. Oh, yeah. The beast is in the building, affecting the civilians, connected to the millions. Uh, uh, protecting all the children. Yo, 
That's a bit of the song Collective by The Beast, a hip-hop soul act from none other than Durham, North Carolina. They're a socially conscious bunch who assembled for frontman Pierce Freelon's master's thesis at Syracuse University. In addition to releasing two EPs and a full-length album this year, the band has also put together some educational workshops for schools across the state. I was able to sit down with Freelon and keyboard player Eric Hirsch to talk a little about the inspiration for these workshops and how they've been received. I've always been interested in the relationship between music and scholarship, uh, even as a student. Um, so when I was at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, I developed a hip-hop curriculum uh, for my honors thesis because, you know, you got to write something and produce some type of intellectual work to graduate from college. Why not make it about something that you're passionate about and that you're engaged in? So I developed uh, this kind of hip-hop curriculum that I've, uh, you know, been taking into schools and community centers and churches around the Triangle since about 2003 and 2004. Um, now that really expanded when I came in contact with the beast. Cause here we have, uh, three jazz trained guys. They all are graduates of Carolina's music department. And that just adds such a dynamic element. My expertise and my passions and my life has been hip hop. Uh, but the beast, when you listen to our music, you can hear is really a fusion of hip hop and soul and, and salsa and all these other different kinds of genres. So what those workshops have developed into is a really kind of a dynamic range of history, kind of lecture-based, interactive workshops on uh, African-American music from spirituals to blues, jazz, um, you know, and beyond. We've got we've got different types of workshops, you know, so like there's kind of what I what I call a genre bending master class with the beast, since that's one of the one of the things that we do. And we did that workshop at um, we did that workshop at Rocky Mount. The Imperial Center was hosting kind of a musician's master class. We're, we're also doing that that type of workshop at Durham School of the Arts. But then we'll also do kind of more culturally history based uh, workshops like we're doing for Black History Month for a nonprofit organization called Movement of Youth. Uh, and we also did this for another nonprofit called 100 Black Men of America. You know, that's kind of more cultural awareness, uh, you know, identity lecture on the history of African American music. So we, we have different types of workshops. Although Freelon already had the curriculum for the workshops in place, the other members of the Beast really helped it grow. Keyboard player Eric Hirsch talked a little bit about his perspective in conducting these workshops. From a curriculum standpoint, like Pierce said, he already had everything figured out. From my standpoint as a musician in the group, uh, along with Pete and Steve, we're kind of coming from a perspective where we've done education as a profession. Pete and Steve teach you know, individual lessons on a day-to-day -day basis. And I've, done, I've had uh, experience kind of workshopping some of my compositions with high schoolers. So we kind of know what it's like to be out there in the field interacting with kids. More from a musical standpoint in terms of your artistic development and your uh, self-expression potential. And when you combine that with some of these kind of more abstract ideas of history and identity and, you know, knowing your roots, and you put that all together, I think it's made for a really successful uh, experience that we've been able to give to, you know, kids and adults in all the different places we've been. And how aggressively has the Beast been pursuing these workshop opportunities in addition to recording and being a full-time band and being full-time musicians? Well, uh, we haven't really uh, approached the North Carolina scene in any comprehensive way. Uh, the workshops kind of come to us to a certain extent uh, because we're, um, you know, our primary goal as a band, I guess, has been up to this point creating music and forming our own identity as live performers and things of that nature. And the workshop, the workshops have kind of been 
more of a, an extracurricular activity, if you could. But we're on the verge of kind of launching an embrace of our, you know, North Carolina community to really try to uh, connect with some of these schools. One of the ways we're doing that is, um, like, for example, the Durham Arts Council has a touring and working artist brochure that now several of our workshops from our curriculum are featured in. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to get uh, into more schools uh, now that we've got, you know, silence fiction is done and, and catalyst is done. And we kind of have had two years as a quartet to form our identity, not only musically, but also, you know, on the scholarship tip as well. One is for the spring, the beginning of the cycle. Genesis, like in the Bible, life will rotate like a bike wheel, like a revival that's vital for our survival. Other seasons follow spring like a disciple. Think about it. A spring is all about compression. Put pressure on a spring when you release it, bounces back in that direction. It is a time of resurrection. We move into the summer, we are losing for protection. This is the four seasons, uh, the four seasons. Along with the genre-busting theme, the Beast also breaks down other barriers and preconceptions. As a hip-hop group, three-quarters of whom is white, they have some interesting thoughts on the binding and communal nature of music, especially as it pertains to their workshops. While I might not yet have the just straight-up workshop experience articulating, you know, in a way that opens up people's minds certain ideas about, you know, cultural identity and, and musical misappropriation, all, you know, some of the darker and lighter aspects of our history... It's definitely something that I'm really passionate about, you know, in my artistry. So there's all these ideas tossing around in my head, but really there's just kind of the overriding idea that at the end of the day, this is beyond culture, this is beyond races. It's just, you know, it's music. It's this powerful unifying thing that makes you feel good or it just makes you feel. And when you take that perspective, it doesn't matter any uh, kind of age race makeup of the band. Uh, as long as we're able to engage with whatever audience we are with and have them you know, respect and understand us because we can do the same right back to them, then I think we can tell whatever kind of story, teach whatever kind of lesson is we need to teach that day. Exactly. And, and to add on that, uh, we did a workshop at uh, First Calvary Church uh, um, a couple months ago now. And, you know, this is a this is a black Baptist, you know, church. You don't see a lot of white people running up in there. And, uh, you know, regard, uh, regardless of what anybody's ideas or, or preconceptions were before we got in there, not that we got any ill energy, it was they embraced us. But, I mean, once the music starts to play and, and the curriculum begins to unfold, it resonates with people in a way where they're just like, word, you know, that was dope. So, you know, we, we've got a Jewish drummer, we've got a Catholic <laughs> piano player and kind of some kind of crazy spiritual MC and a gypsy bass player, <laughs> you know, but we're up here in a Southern Baptist black country church, got yeah. grandma soul clapping in the front row, the kids getting the jam on. <laughs> At that point, that combination of people's backgrounds, no postmodern theory could analyze exactly what's going on there. You just kind of have to throw it all aside and say, okay, we're just all having a good time, aren't we? Yeah. And then the, there was cool, speaking of this particular workshop, there was a, a holy hip hop guy, a deacon authority oh, who came right. up next. I mean, this dude was intense. He was like, he was like, what can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood. That's Nothing right. It was blood. like, so uh, yeah. take that take that phrase out of context. Nothing but the blood. Right. You know, this is a this is something that if Fifty Cent said, or if it was said in that kind of vigorous, really kind of uh, you know scary to a lot of especially the elder generational way, uh, words, uh, but you put it in kind of a of a progressive context, you now have <laughs> grannies standing up in the pews yelling, "Nothing but the blood!" Like you know, as if they were. 
as if they were at some hip-hop show in the front row with their hands in the air. So that's another example how music can can uh, break down barriers and really uh, serve as a, as a space for us to communicate. That said, it can also do the opposite. I saw a YouTube video the other day of one of those big Christian megachurches where they use modern culture to engage with the youth, and there was like a giant hip-hop posse of people in baggy clothes, and the music was, you know, really deriving from that southern crunk style, like really like dumbed down club music but the lyrics were gimme gimme that christian side hug what <laughs> and they were trying to uh um, get people to do a kind of hug where you barely touch each other they were so serious about what they were doing but there's something that was still so inappropriate about it even though it was well executed that's i funny. don't know all right so it seems like this thing is evolving pretty nicely and you guys are getting a handle on it uh how are you how are you going to spread uh, and where can we find more information about the projects one of the things Steve and I have been working on, uh, which we hope to launch sometime in January, is a formal website for our workshops that uh, outlines each workshop from our genre-bending masterclass to our music and African-American history course to our um, jazz-focused and or versus hip-hop-focused workshops. Uh, and we've divided it into um, workshops, which is kind of like a one-day thing, residencies, which is uh, working with a group of students over a course of days, and then more performance-based stuff. So all that stuff will be lined up in a really nice-looking website and pamphlet uh, early 210. So look for go to thebeastmusic.com in 2010, and, you, and you'll be able to see some more information about the education stuff we do. Once again, that was The Beast. This is Mike Alston for Community Canvas and I on the Triangle. Have a happy holidays and we'll see you in the spring. Yeah. Hear this on I on the Triangle. Your local music news. The last Hear This Clip of the Year could very easily be a feature of the best local albums of 2009 or even a feature on the best local songs of 2009. However, since I will be contributing to the Independence Best of Local list for 2009 in their upcoming December 16th issue, I've decided not to do a Best of feature. Rather, I'm going to give you something more personal, something more comprehensive than a tallied numerical list. I've taken a minute to think of the most memorable moments from my 2009 local experience. The bands, albums, shows, news items, and buzz that proved for the most musical mementos of 2009. First and foremost, let's remember the April 10th and July 11th performances from Bombadil. Their spring show was a bittersweet performance at the Lincoln Theater. Their set list was filled with familiar favorites and new tracks from their highly anticipated release, Tar Pits and Canyonlands. Yet there was a missing element of the live show. Daniel Mikulik was not playing bass, keyboards, or any other instrument that adds to their blend of gypsy, carnival, marching band soundscape. He was only singing. It was the band's last Raleigh show for 2009. They finished a handful of shows and have since been on an indefinite resting period due to the pain in Daniel Mikulik's hands. 
He suffers from a curious, severe pain in the hands and is unofficially diagnosed but could be due to extreme tendinitis. The summer show for Bombadil was their album release party, a listening party for their second full-length album out on Ramsar Records entitled Tar Pits and Canyonlands. Even though the band was unable to play at their album release show, Tar Pits and Canyonlands is an album full of musical gems like this one, Honeymoon. Blow the kiss you never felt And belt your wife for smiling Love is lying by yourself Alone, awake and crying For the most surprising moment of 2009, we turn to the January shows of Raleigh Undercover at Tirnanog. After a few weeks of confusion and controversy, the event, formerly known as the Great Cover-Up, which was hosted by historic local music staple King's Barcade, found a new home and a new incarnation as Raleigh Undercover. Organized by Chris Tamplin of Tirnanog Irish Pub, the lineup was chocked full of surprises. But the most memorable was when the black curtains dropped and rowdy rockers Valiant Thor turned into the Parliament Funkadelic. Valiant himself with his red beard was adorned in a full-length Native American headdress and was joined on stage with a fully costumed Birds of Avalon's Craig Tilly. Who knew that rockers could give such a memorable experience of get off your ass and jam? For pictures of this show, you can check out our blog post. There were so many other awesome local music happenings. Troika Music Festival, Cherry Bounce Music Festival, the 20-year anniversary of Merge Records and the lineup of shows that corresponded, the Bain Water Project and the shows that helped support money for that, along with the numerous local bands who traveled to Austin, Texas for the National Festival South by Southwest. But perhaps the most memorable experience to emerge out of all of this is the year-long trek that has proved extremely bountiful for the love language. Their long-awaited debut album was released in February, and the buzz hit strong. They played numerous stages at South by Southwest, including an invitation-only performance from magazine Rolling Stone. They toured with Cursive, and then rounded out the year with announcing Merge Records would be releasing their next album. The love language has earned their year of memories. They've come a long way since the days of the Capulets. And the next year should be a prosperous one for melodic Stu McClam. As Ryan Adams has shown the triangle, sometimes the best songs are made by the heartbroken, whiskey and cheap champagne soaked, reckless youth of North Carolina.
As always, for more information on the local music scene, you can check out wknc.org slash blog. Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. You are listening to Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week. This week, we sit down with Logan Scarborough, Senior in Forest Management and President of the NC State Forestry Club. Logan spoke with us about his major, the Forestry Club, and Timber Sports Competition. My name is Logan Scarborough. I'm a senior in forest management uh, with a concentration in management. I'm also the president of the Forestry Club here at NC State. Where I fall in forest management as far as what I want to do when I get out is uh, basically some landowner, private landowner, will come to me um, and he'll have a track of land. It'll have timber on it. He'll say, you know, how much is it worth? And I'm the guy that appraises his timber for him. That's called a forestry consultant. And my mindset is as long as we uh, are going to cut trees, we might as well do it right. You know, trees are a renewable resource. And, you know, a lot of times they are hunters um, or just some type of uh, wildlife enthusiast. You know, wildlife, a a lot of landowners, private landowners in North Carolina want to manage their timber for uh, a certain type of wildlife. Let's say white-tailed deer, wild turkey, northern bobwhite quail. Um, all these kinds that, you know, they'll come to a forestry consultant and uh, say, hey, I want to manage my timber to promote these species. And there's a lot of different ways we could do that. Basically, the forestry club, a lot of it is comprised of the timber sports team. We've got about 25 active members right now. Most of them are in undergraduate uh, studies right now. Uh, some are in College of Natural Resources as far as uh, not in forest management. Um, some are in, i got a couple of wildlife guys, too. It is open to anybody in the College of Natural Resources, so that's uh, it's a pretty broad range. And you also do not have to be uh, a College of Natural Resources major. You can be taking a class, and so let's say you want to be in the uh, Forestry Club. We requ- require you to be in the Forestry Club for at least one year, so uh, you would have to take two different uh, semesters of something in the College of Natural Resources. So. We do a, a couple of different fundraisers throughout the year. Um, our main one is firewood sales. We sell it by the half cord and, and cord. Uh, another big fundraiser that we do is the plant sale, and that will be in the brickyard. I'm sure you'll see all kind of advertisement about that before then. It's on Earth Day. We do some other small things as far as people contact us about uh, doing tree work, uh, usually small arborist work, something they don't want to have to get a professional out there to do. We do two different style of events. Uh, one are technical events. And they are comprised of dendrology, timber estimation, air photo interpretation, wildlife ID, compass and pacing, DBH estimation, which is diameter at breast height. That's just basically estimating diameter of trees at breast height. Our physical events are comprised of underhand chop, and that's men's and women's, pole fell, and that's a 16-foot pole, that's 12 inches DBH, and you have to hit a stake 10 feet out uh, with the pole and that is timed but you usually don't really go by time you go by how far away the pole lands from your stake Uh, we also have double buck sawing that's two man on either side of a double buck saw and that's through 10 inch can Uh, we have stock saw cutting a two two cookies uh, within four inches of a cant bow saw and that's actually on an eight inch cant of white pine we do four events throughout the year um, the first one is at uh, the Cradle of Forestry. 
That's hosted by Haywood Community College. Our second one is Rolio, and that is hosted by us. Our third one is going to be in February, and that's at Virginia Tech. And then our fourth one, first three are more like big practices for us. Our fourth one is uh, called Conclave, uh, Forestry Conclave. We have 15 schools that are in our southeast region. There are five different regions throughout the United States, and we have the most schools in our region. We do really well on the technical events. That's just something that state has always been really strong at. The past few years, we have not done nearly as well in the physical events. Everybody else is like the two-year colleges are a lot better uh, than us. They also have coaches, and we, we don't have coaches. Now, in the past three Three and a half years now, ever since uh, Graham and I have been here, we have tried to uh, kind of sustain our uh, ability to do all the technical events, but also you know, kind of boost up our physical events, and we've done that by having practice two days a week. And it, it's worked out. We, we kind of we, we dominate. And that wraps up our final episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the blog on wknc.org slash blog or wknc.org slash EOT. And don't forget to check it out for sound bites from this week. Have a great holiday.